Hey yo, I'm Katie. And it's your favorite co-host, Corey, and this <laughs> is the Press Next Podcast. Now I don't know about favorite, but co-host. You're I mean, the co-host. you the, the main. You know what I'm saying? You the main. Mm. So the favorite okay. co-host. Meaning, if they have any other shows, I'm their favorite co-host of all time. Y'all know this. Stop playing with me. Okay. Stop co playing with me. Means that you and I are both the hosts. Shh. Mm -hmm. Shh. Anyways, welcome back to another week of the Press Next podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us Indeed. this week. And Indeed. if you are new here, welcome. And we're so excited to have you. Yes, indeed. And if you are watching, hey, I'm waving to you. Uh, if you're not watching, I just wave to everybody. So uh, glad that you are here and listening and watching. As always, click the follow button, click subscribe, drop a review on uh, all of our podcast stuff. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify now, because you can review on Spotify. Um, all of those things. That's going to help us get in front of some more viewers and listeners, much like you, and push us out. And we love doing this. We're going to continue to do this. And we would love some more support because we want to support you as well. So go ahead and do those things. And I know you can do them, them without even pressing pause on the episode. I got an iPhone too, y'all. I know That's you right. can. <laughs> uh, so That's do right. that. So show your boy and, and your girl some love. Your favorite co-host. Give us some love. Absolutely. So um, this week, we are going to be discussing the topic of mental health. So mm. if that is something you're interested in, stick around. If not, we will catch you next week. Indeed. So the movie we are covering this week is Girl Interrupted, which can be found on Netflix. Yes, it can. And it is from 1999. And it's actually pretty star-studded. Oh, my God. I was the cast is not crazy. expecting that. I'm about to look it up. How old were you in uh, 1999, by the way? That's not important. I'm just trying to figure out. You know what I'm I saying? Were you four. able to watch this? And, oh, so you was four in the movie theaters? I was four. I didn't watch it in movie theaters. <laughs> you sure? I was Somebody four years old. took you. All right. Now, y'all, listen to this uh, this cast real quick. The top cast. Winona Ryder. And mind mm -hmm. you, this came out in 1999, so they're older. Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. Um, Brittany Murphy, Clea R. Duvall, R. Elizabeth Moss. So shout out to Elizabeth Moth, uh, a Moth Moss under Did his eye. Uh, Jared Leto, which if this anyway, interesting story about Jared Leto. Katie watched this whole movie, and I guess was trying to figure out like why Stop. does he look so familiar. And I was like, yeah, I mean everybody played a good role like Jared Leto, and she was like, oh, that was Jared Leto, of course. I was like, okay. Yeah. It's because his face was much more round. Yes. Like, like filled out. And yeah, wait so, on. Yes. And the whole time I was watching the movie, I was like, because, you know, he's got the blue eyes. I was like, who is this guy? And why does he look so familiar? The whole movie. The whole mm -hmm. movie. I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? It was Jared freaking Leto. Jared Leto is in it. Jeffrey Tambor, if you know who Jeffrey Tambor is. Whoopi Goldberg um, is in the movie as well. So it really is for a movie that came out in 1999, very star-studded. And really, probably just star-studded now, right? So like, uh -huh. if you think about it, in 1999, I don't think anybody was like popping like that besides like maybe Angelina Jolie, Winona Ryder, um, 
Maybe. Like, I don't think Elizabeth Moss was popping. I don't. Right. Brittany Murphy, maybe. But. Can I, I, I tell you a funny story real quick? Yes. So one time I was watching this YouTube video and this girl was just doing like her daily vlog. And she said that she was going to go see the new. um, What is the new Suicide Squad? Mm. And she said, yeah, I don't really know how I feel about uh, Jay Leno being the Joker. <laughs> Not Jay Leno. That boy. She meant, obviously, Jared, Jared Leno, Leno yeah. but she said Jay Leno. And so f- since then, I can only picture Jay Leno as the Joker <laughs> in Suicide Squad. And <laughs> With it a big old kills <laughs> me. It kills me every time. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, probably the 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 old new Suicide Squad. Because remember, they came out with a reboot. Oh, uh, already? So, yeah, it was actually really oh. good. And then the I didn't um, watch it. Peacemaker is now the show that's out, um, uh, the TV show that's out right now, played by John Cena. So mm-hmm. um, I never watched it. I enjoyed the new one, except I really didn't understand the starfish. <laughs> but we're, we'll talk about that later. I was just a weird villain to have in a movie. But it okay. is what it is. That has nothing to do with today's movie. So let's get <laughs> back into Girl Interrupted. The point of reading off those cast members is that as we know them today and watching them today, this is kind of why I like watching old movies. To us now, I'm like, wow, this was a cast and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Which is also why I believe it won some awards or at least somebody did. Listen, they had it won one Oscar, but it was um, had 11 total nominations and there's other awards. So it won an Oscar for Best Actress Supporting Role. So Angelina Jolie, she won an Oscar for this. Did um, you even mention Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, I said Whoopi's in it, yeah. Oh. Um, Angelina Jolie also won for Outstanding uh, Performance by a Female Actor in Supporting Role in the uh, SAG Awards, so Screen Actors Guild. Um, mm-hmm. She also wor- uh, won the same award in the uh, Award Circuit Community Awards. And then she so it looks like Angelina Jolie is the only one that won an award for this um, which movie. totally makes sense because what did I say to you? I said Angelina Jolie played her dang butt off in this movie. She did. She did. I have a theory though. Okay. I have a theory <laughs> that people think that like good acting is like when people are upset. So whenever and and hear me out real quick. When I see clips of people like this is this is cinema great. It's all it's typically like a white man who's just mad, <laughs> right? And he he goes through his lines like very angrily, and so mm. then people are like, "Oh, I felt the energy and passion in that." And I'm like, the guy was just mad, and I feel like Maybe not to we're say used this to seeing angry white men. Nah, that may be true. Not to say that Angelina did not, but I would assume that probably back in the back in. In 1999, this was a big moment, but I have a probably unpopular opinion. I think Winona Ryder played a better role. Really? I mean, she played her butt off too. I just think, and it's not even the lashing out part of Angelina's role that I thought was the best. I think, and I rarely ever do this, but I remember watching it and when they were on the stairs and, um, Susan, Suzanne, Susan. Well, let's let's keep that thought real quick. Okay. Let me tell you why. Okay. For those who are listening, before we get deep into this, I don't want you to get deep into it and be like, "What the hell are we talking about?" Okay. <laughs> so, the movie itself, while it is won many awards and it is star studded, um, here it is basically the movie is based on a writer. Her name is Susanna. 
uh, her account of her 18 month stay in a mental hospital that's set in the late 1960s. So it mm-hmm. came out in 1999, but the setting is in 1960s. And she is a high school girl who um, goes to a mental hospital for 18 months. Inside that hospital, she meets different peoples, peoples, um, <laughs> which is where she meets all of these various char- characters, like the Angelina Jolie. Angelina's character's name is Lisa. Uh, Brittany Murphy's character's name is Daisy. Uh, Clea's character name is Georgina. Elizabeth Moss played a character named Polly. Um yeah, and then like the two big doctors really. Oh, Whoopi Goldberg was a nurse there in kind of like an orderly, but she's a nurse. Uh, her name is Valerie, and uh, Doctor Potts was kind of one of the. He was like the family doctor, but he was played by Jeffrey mm-hmm. Tambor. And then Doctor Wick was the person who who pretty much ran the uh, the the psychological aspects or the counseling and therapy from the mental hospital. So um, everybody else isn't really that important. So just remember that now. Mm-hmm. Back to your thought. Now that we know that this is set in the late 1960s, Susanna, the main character, Winona Ryder, is in a mental hospital and um, she meets Lisa. Continue your thought. And Lisa's played by Angelina Jolie. Um, So the part that I was like, dang, Angelina Jolie is really like playing her butt off in this was near the end where um, Susanna was like, you're already dead. Like, you have no heart. Your heart is cold. Um, And she broke down and started crying. That's when I was like, dang. Because it felt so real. And it might have felt so real because of what Winona Ryder said. Said, So maybe. And what she delivered. Yeah. And and your attachment to the character for so long. So to give you all kind of the backstory of what the movie is, it, it opens up. It almost feels like. Winona Ryder's in like a fever dream for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not like it's just back and forth and back and forth, but there are times in the movie where it goes from one scene to the next and you don't really know what is real and what's not real, right? So it opens up kind of, she's in, um, she's in, Susanna is in a therapist's office, you know, talking about what happened. Well, what happened is she, she attempted suicide. She chased mm-hmm. a bottle of aspirin with a bottle of vodka. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a clear attempt of suicide. Right. Um, and at this time, Winona Ryder, you know what she's saying? Susanna keeps saying, I just had a headache. <laughs> like, that's all she was saying. Mm-hmm. They're like, why did you do this? And she's like, I had a headache. I got some aspirin. So the therapist is like, hey, I think that there is a place, Dr. Potts, he's like, there's a place for, for you that's really going to help you out. Mind you, she's 18. And she's like, oh, not this, uh, not this psych ward. And he's like, yeah. So he calls for a cab. And this is just really messed up. He calls for a cab. And she's like, why are you calling for a cab? My mom's outside. And he's like, well, we've all already, we've already talked about this. We've agreed that it's going to be easier, less emotional this way. And her mom mm-hmm. had already packed her things, put the things in the cab. And they just put her in a cab and sent the cab off to the, the psych hotel. I'm hot, psych hotel. <laughs> to the psych hospital. That's trash. <clears throat> That is. That's messed up. And could you imagine, I mean, you're probably your most vulnerable and you feel like you're just being shipped off. Exactly. And so Susanna gets to the hospital and she is met by the administration and they're signing, you know, she's got to sign her paperwork. And they still make it clear to her that her parents can't sign this paperwork because she's 18. You have to sign this paperwork, right? 
And mm-hmm. so she signs it anyway. But I think this is one of those clear cases of like soft coercion. I was going to say she was kind of, I mean, they forced her hand. Yes. It's, it's really, it's why it's stupid that we get to sign $25,000 loans <laughs> to go to college at 18, right? We are so impressionable in our entire life. Other people have making have been making decisions for us. Mm-hmm. So if you put us in a room full of people who we think are competent and adults and they tell us that we need to sign this, we're going to sign this paper. Even mm-hmm. though you can tell it was against her best judgment in the moment, she signed the papers, which effectively says you're going to be here until we say that you're better. That's wild. Very. So the movie really begins there. She's now in the psych hospital. She gets a room um, with um, Daisy. She's roomed with Daisy. Mm-hmm. Daisy's a pathological liar. <laughs> or no, maybe she didn't room with Daisy. She roomed with, um, uh, she roomed with Georgina. And Georgina's the liar. Yeah, Georgina is a super pathological liar. Just lie about everything, literally. Um, and then... Like the when thing- she said, my dad's in the CIA. Yeah, remember that? And I was like, okay, you know he's not, but... right. We get our first look at Lisa whenever Lisa's brought in by the police. She's always brought in by the police. So the thing you need to know about Lisa is Lisa comes to the hospital. She somehow breaks out every time and they always get the police always get her and bring her back. And so Lisa comes in. I guess Lisa's old friend that was in the the hospital with them um, is now her room's now being occupied by Susanna. Well, what happened? Apparently... Lisa, so this is, oh man, my mind is being blown right now, but I'm not going to say nothing. Lisa left, and the girl that Susanna's room, uh, Susanna took over her room, committed suicide as well because Lisa left. Mm-hmm. So now Susanna's in this room, and then Lisa breaks through everybody and pretty much chokes up Susanna, like, where's she at? What you doing? Who are you? Boom, boom, boom. So our first really look at Lisa is kind of scary. Do you feel that way? Like, I'm like, dang, she off the yeah. rocker for real. Yeah, so she's very aggressive. She acts like she runs the place, but she also kind of seems like she's has her wits about her. You know, it's weird because there's the girls that are like yelling out random profanities and then there's the the girls that are holding the dolls and acting like they're children. And then there's her who can you know, she seems more lucid, right? Like, right. And she seems more socially acceptable. Yes. She knows what what she's doing. You can, um, I'll put it like this, especially at this time, the way that they kind of depict people in psych uh, hospitals is like very childlike, like people. Yeah. But so you see that in there, but you don't see that in her. Lisa can be out on the street and you never think she has a mental illness. Severe enough to be in a psych hospital. And unless you like have, an interaction with her and you're probably like right but i mean this bitch crazy <laughs> yeah she, yeah you might say something like that or like hey she a wild girl like that's what i would yeah. say like if i seen the antics that she did inside or in public i'd just be like man she a wild girl <laughs> like you know yeah, like but i wouldn't be true. thinking like she just broke out of a, a psych hospital yeah i'd just be like she living free she a wild girl she just do whatever she want to do she must got money or something um so I mean that's how I felt about Lisa and Lisa again this is Angelina Jolie and she's just killing this role. She she makes everything so believable. It's almost like every, all of us know Elisa. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt like I knew her 
or I've seen her before in my life somewhere. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why, um, you know, she won the war. She made it just so relatable. And I like that because the juxtaposition of the people who were inside who were very like catatonic or like in a childlike state, right? All the way to Lisa, who you could barely tell even has a mental illness. And that's the big issue even now. A mental illness or is... Susanna. Or, or even Susanna, right? Like that's the... Susanna... The, the movie is about Susanna's journey through this, not just in the psych war, but within herself, right? She's trying to understand her diagnosis and her mental health. Mm-hmm. That's what because the movie is about. From the from the outside looking in, it looks like Susanna would be the most socially acceptable and she would be the one that you look at and you're like, why are you even in here? You know, her struggle is more of an internal battle. Whereas right. everyone else's is very external and you can actually see what they're dealing with. Right. Susanna, you can't just see it. No, not even a little bit. I mean, the only thing that really prompted this was the fact that she she attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. So this clearly gives a nice spectrum of what, what it means to have mental illness. So I enjoy that and I appreciate that about the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically throughout the film... Susanna, who goes in and is literally thinking to herself, oh, I'm only going to be here for like 48 hours. I just need some rest and I'm going to be straight. Ends up being there for 18 months. So her journey is the people who she thought were, you know, quote unquote crazy. And I say that because they use that terminology in the film. Mm -hmm. The people who are quote unquote crazy, she becomes, she recognizes that they're human just like her. So she bonds with them. And there's mm-hmm. actually a scene where Jared Leto comes and actually she gets to go free. She says, get out. They got her out. Jared's like, we're going to slide to Canada. That's what we go do. I love you. Or he said, I think I love you. We're going to slide to Canada. We're going to get away from this. You're not crazy. And I think his his relationship with her is very important. Because in the beginning, we, we, see, we see how Jared changes. Remember, there's a point where I need you all to know that Susanna has reckless sex with Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. that's her thing she just will have reckless sex like what do they call it um she's promiscuous dang. she's very promiscuous she doesn't think she but is with but him. she is but just with him but it's just yeah. but also well not necessarily because there's a mo- there's also like the, one of the orderlies in there she get in with but jared leto seems to be that guy who she runs to when she wants to have promiscuous sex on a on a whim it's with jared leto Now, Mm -hmm. in the beginning, she's talking after they, you know, have intercourse or whatever. You know, they're just chatting it up like people do. And she's talking about how she feels and her mental health and like living and dying and everything else. Now, his response is much like what I think everybody's response is, which is like, that's weird. Right. Like, why are we talking about death and suicide and everything else? That's weird. Right. Mm -hmm. She immediately kind of gets mad and she's like, I was just trying to tell you how I feel. And now you're like dismissing me like making me feel like it's wrong for me to think these things and he's like you're not like that's weird bro like that what are you doing and now she's in she's inside he breaks her out and his tune has now changed he's like you're not like them anymore you know what i'm saying like you're Mm -hmm. not like them they're crazy you're not crazy Mm -hmm. they're crazy and she said well if they're crazy then i'm crazy because by this time she had a relationship with them she had a relationship with them and they're all in the same institution. Yep. So. And they're learning about themselves. And so she's had, you know, sessions with counselors inside and therapists inside. And she's trying to learn about 
what things mean. And then they diagnose her with borderline personality disorder. Um, and so and then they kind of said something else, but they were like, ah, we don't want to tell you because it could hinder your progress or whatever. So there's mm-hmm. a wonderful scene where they actually break into, I love the scene. They break into the therapist's office after hours and they all read each other's files about like what mm-hmm. the therapist has been saying about them. Um, and so that was pretty cool to see that like, you know, show me yours, I'll show you mine. And people are just reading off each other's diagnosis and stuff. It would be so interesting to read notes that a therapist has taken over you. I'd be like, what you writing over there? I can tell you for me, um, because I, it wasn't, a, it was never a lot of like in-depth things. Well, I guess you can, and when you get to the notes, they're a little bit more in-depth. Um, but you try to be as vague as possible, actually. So that when you, if you are ever called in court or something like that, you mm-hmm. don't have to be, there's nothing that's in your notes that you have to stand tall to. You know what I'm saying? Like you okay. said exactly this quote. So typically now the practices, they're actually, they're just what we call soap notes. Um, and they're they're pretty standardly vague. We don't go into like details of every single thing. But if some things make more sense, like I need to write down a quote or something like this, or I write down what my assumed diagnosis is. Or why, or you know, body movement that you may may talk about your temperament and things of that nature. Um, but the notes that they went into for this episode, I think, is a little bit deeper because you're talking about a psychiatrist who was diagnosing them and also okay. medicating them, right? Right, not just a therapist. Exactly. So right, th- they might be much more deeper because they have to justify if they're going to diagnose giving somebody. medication. Exactly. Gotcha. I so just that might be that interesting, would, yes. Yeah, I think it would just be so interesting to be like, because, and I, I think we'll get into this, but I think sometimes they don't tell you everything that they think because they want you to figure it out on your own. And that's I mean, just really hard sometimes. To figure out on your own? Yeah. Okay, so I say this all the, all the time when it comes to counseling. Because or counseling, they're else. never going to tell you if, you, if you've been to therapy and you've been to counseling... They're not telling you what you're doing is wrong. They're not telling you what to change. They're not telling you what it is about you that is whatever. They're posing leading questions to help you figure that out on your own. Yes. So I just want somebody to tell me what's wrong with me. (laughs) Yeah, but see, that's too easy. I want somebody to just crack open my... I, I just wish there was something that you could like place on my head and read my like brain waves or something and it would just tell you what's wrong with me yeah but that's too easy and you won't change <laughs> you won't i True. mean that's not necessarily talking about you in general but like the the process of change is difficult and hard and it hurts mm-hmm. everything has to go through a process to become what it is the thing about us as humans especially now in an age where like we are in tune with ourselves. We don't want to do the work. We are afraid of ourselves more than we're afraid of anybody else. We don't want to have to look inward and accept that like there's aspects of us that are really shitty. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. That's why people shy. I was literally talking about that today at lunch. I, like that's why people, especially we were talking about black men going to therapy. That's why we shy away from therapy. We don't want to have to deal with ourselves. And we say, oh, that's hard. That's hard. It is hard. But the hardest part is accepting, is thinking, reflecting, and then accepting and moving on. 
Like it, things can't it, if they happen in the past or whatever, you can't change them. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if I told you what's wrong, that's the other thing. You don't think that there's times in a counseling session where we telling you straight to your face what's wrong? <laughs> you're not going mean, to accept probably. it. You're not going to accept it because th- you already don't think you're wrong. Right. That's true. Fair. I can tell you to your face what I think is wrong with you. And you're going to be like, oh, no. Nah. Mm, it can't be it. It can't be that. It can't be that. And you didn't came in here in this session. Mind you, I don't know nothing about you, right? Like nothing. So I'm only going off of what you what you are telling Which me. Which we kind of saw in the movie when she read her file. She was like, what? Exactly. This isn't yeah. me. And even the other girls, right? The other girls were like, yes, this is you. This sounds just like you. Mm-hmm. She, I don't have promiscuous sex. Yes, you do. <laughs> what are you talking about? But that's the, it's, it's, too, it's so hard for us to hear about ourselves. We don't want to mm-hmm. be the subject of anything. And I, for the most part, we don't want to change. We say we want change and we say we want help. You don't want that. Because when you want it, you'll do it. And you'll go through that. And the first thing I say to people in counseling is, it often gets worse before it gets better. That means there's a storm brewing and you're going to have to go through this storm if you want to get better. Yeah. And you're going to have to be real to yourself. We just learn how to, shout out to all the therapists, counselors, and everybody else. We go through school to learn how to help you through that situation. You're the driver of your own life. We're trying to help you out with the with mapping the road or just reminding you that there's roads there. Let's let's explore it. Let's drive down it. We're going to cry. We're going to laugh. We're going to be mad. And when you feel like you're not getting nowhere, you're getting somewhere. But anyway, as um, one of my colleagues would say, at any rate, <laughs> let's, at any let's rate. move on. Yeah, at any rate. She's diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, and so from that moment on, I think is when we see the change in Susanna. Um, and yeah, so I don't want to get too far into like explaining the rest of the movie. I really do think that if you all have time to just watch a movie, especially if you um, if you are, God, I don't want to say into mental health, but if you're passionate about mental health, um, watch this movie, watch any movie about mm-hmm. mental health, but really watch this one. I think they did a great job of depicting uh, mental illness in life. The female version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, Yes. that's what I think. (laughs) It it really does. Like the new age, the newer, like the updated version of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But still old. (laughs) Yeah, right. But still old. But I I really enjoyed it. And I think that in 1999, it was probably really groundbreaking. And now we just have kind of shows that do this. But I also don't feel as if. Like the shows now, when they talk about mental illness, it's very just melancholy, like very down, very sad. You know what I mean? And I yeah. don't feel like that was the pace, speed or emotion of this film. Yeah, this one depicted it as really raw. Yeah. And like you got to experience everything. There was mm-hmm. a lot of ups and downs and joys and happies and laughs. Uh, the ice cream parlor scene was hilarious. Mm hmm. They got to go out to go get some ice cream and there's a bunch of things that happened during that scene and they're all funny. And like, I feel like with shows now, they don't depict this side of mental health or mental illness. Right. You are not your illness. You're not just stuck in where you at. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You're going to experience life. Right. There's going to be highs and lows. Yes. So I like that about that. And I have some questions. Um, One being... That at the beginning of the film, 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 at the beginning of the film, uh, a doctor told Susanna that she's hurting everybody around her. I don't know if you remember that. 
when she was like, you're hurting everybody around you, right? Mm -hmm. So how does a person's mental illness or substance use disorder hurt those closest to them? I think what hurts the most is the self-destructive activities that come along with mental health or substance abuse. Um, Because the person that is... Because oftentimes when you are dealing with something, it's your mind telling you something that other people know not to be true. Mm. Like you're not enough or you're to this or you're to that. But other people see you and they think that you're more than enough, right? And so I think that other people see us sometimes better than we see ourselves and so mm, that's a good point. They it hurts to see someone you care about so much care about themselves so little. Mm. Okay. So, okay. What and are, I'm, what are your thoughts I, on that? Um I want to clarify y'all that when she says care about yourself so little, she's not saying if you have a mental illness that you care about yourself so little. <laughs> Uh, right 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 just want to i got what you're saying but i don't want nobody on the other side of the line like <laughs> katie doesn't care anything about people with mental illnesses she thinks that we don't care that's why we have it uh no that's not what she's saying False. but severe depression disorder is what i've been diagnosed with so i get it <laughs> um thank you for sharing that you did not have to share that with the people um but thank you for being vulnerable that was sweet anyway so Anywho. at any rate, <laughs> at any rate, <laughs> uh, I think I, to really drive home the point of what you were saying, I honestly don't think, I think it hurts people based on their image of what they want you to be. Mm -hmm. That's what hurts people, right? If I want you to be something, that's, if I want better for you, that's what hurts. And I think yeah. that sometimes it's unfair to actually place that on people who are struggling with these issues. That's good. That's a good point. Like, cause of course somebody can, can see you in a different light, but is it really you that they're seeing or is it the version of you that they want you to that be? That they want. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, I've known you my whole life. Yeah. But I'm going through something and rather I'm going than through something. Right. So to take it full circle, kind of back to the first scene, the mom, instead of having the gumption to drive to talk to her daughter and then take her daughter in to the uh psychiatric hospital. She sat in the car behind the cab and mm -hmm. watched the cab drive away. Oh, you can't you see you're hurting your mom? What? Right. Are you serious? And you can tell throughout the entire movie, the parents, so her mom and her dad, are much more worried about themselves than they are with her. Everything's about oh, like their image. And I 100%. feel like that's how we do with a lot of people when it comes to mental illness or substance uh, abuse disorders. Is that we care about our image in relation to them. We don't actually care that much about them. We care about what we wanted them to be or how we think of them. And so, oh, that hurts me. I kind of think that that's selfish. That's just me. And then we see if somebody lashes out and says that, like in the movies, you're like, oh, that person's being a brat. But I'm like... Honestly, I don't think they are. I think it's selfish to be like, um, oh, it, it, you're hurting such the, the people around you and, and putting that burden on them to think that like 
I have to maintain an image that people think of me. It's not okay for me to go through what I'm going through. I have to be a certain way for everybody around me. That's unfair. Mm -hmm. And that's not helping anybody. It's not going to help them get through. So, I mean, I just, um, I think they do a good job of relaying that in the relationship with her in relation to her parents, as well as when she was trying to hide in the, uh, the ice cream parlor as well. Remember, she was trying to hide behind Lisa. Mm-hmm. And she got found it out, found it out. I got, a, I got another question for you. Understanding they diagnosed her with uh, BPD or bipolar, I mean, bipolar, borderline personality disorder. What is your understanding of borderline personality disorder? This is a good one. And, and just f- speak how you would normally speak about it in your, in your actual thoughts about borderline personality disorder. So I know that we've talked about it before when we um, discussed Silver Linings Playbook. I don't really remember. (laughs) That's okay. So I'm going to read this for you because here's what I want everybody to know about borderline personality disorder. It is very specific, but also very general. Okay. And I think hard to diagnose. I think yes and no. Like the answer okay. is yes and no. I think, and this is me, I think when most people think uh, bipolar disorder is, is borderline personality. Okay. But it's typically in younger people, like teenagers and younger. Typically. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but like typically. So this says borderline per- personality disorder is an illness marked by an ongoing pattern of varying mood, self-image, and behavior. These symptoms often result in impulsive actions and problems in relationships. People with borderline personality disorder may experience intense episodes of anger, depression, and anxiety that can last for a few hours to days. Yeah, that sounds like what people might perceive bipolar as, just like mood exactly. swings in a matter of hours. Exactly. So when people, when most people are like, oh, bipolar, I'm like, mm, it, it's probably... It probably looks a lot more like borderline personality than it does bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but some signs and, and symptoms. Let's talk about it. Efforts to avoid real or imagined uh, abandonment, such as rapidly initiating intimate physical or emotional relationships or cutting off communication with somebody in anticipation of being abandoned. Right. This is uh, easy with her to see when we talk about her and Jared Leto's relationship. Mm-hmm. A pattern of intense and unstable relationships with family, friends and loved ones. Often swinging from extreme closeness and love to extreme dislike and anger. The relationship with her mom. Correct. Distorted and unstable self-image and sense of self. This is her. Mm-hmm. Impulsive and often dangerous behaviors such as spending sprees, unsafe sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating, uh, self-harming such as cutting, recurrent thoughts of suicidal behaviors or threats. Intense and highly changeable moods with each episode lasting from a few hours to a few days. Chronic feeling of emptiness. Inappropriate intense angers or problems controlling anger. You remember the scene in the bathtub with her and um, Whoopi Goldberg? I do. This is inappropriate intense anger and problem controlling anger. Difficulty trusting, which sometimes is accompanied by irrational fear and other people's uh, intentions. Feelings of dissociation. This is the whole movie. The feelings of dissociations is the whole movie. She will be somewhere 
talking to somebody else and then for some like in the movie they show the disassociation with where her mind is remember the one time she's in the room and she leaves the room with Jerry Leto and she opens the door and it's, now she's back in the hospital mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. boom so given all that information do you feel like they uh, portrayed borderline personality disorder correctly or good in the film I think they did I mean, you went through everyone and pointed out how we saw that in her. So I think that they did a good job at that, especially in 99, because I feel like even diagnosis or diagnoses and just like what we know about them have evolved over the years. And so I think that for that time, they did a really good job at that. Fantastic. Fantastic. I challenge you all who watch this film, just pull up like the signs and symptoms of uh, BPD. And then mm-hmm. like, if you see one, just like mark it off or something. They did a right. really good job of not just doing it one time. Cause this is what I see in movies nowadays. They'll try to hit every sign and symptom, but they'll just do it one time mm-hmm. as if that's like what happens. And when it's not what happens, sometimes you have all the signs and symptoms. Sometimes you only have two, but they come and go in ways as a constant pattern of your life. That's how you're able to be actually diagnosed. Or I feel like sometimes they portray it so over the top. Oh, my God. When sometimes it's not in your face. It's very subtle. Right. Like, like having she's sex having with just Jared Leto and not like With just people. one man instead of everyone. Right. Wild. What's another example? Let's think about it. Um, what's another example of like. How they didn't go over the top. They just kind of kept oh. it in their pocket. That was I would, I would think of like some know. of her emotional outbursts with her parents. Like they never, she still understood where she was as far as like respect wise. Mm-hmm. She, but she would get mad and, you know, she'd go off the wall and, you know, she'd get there, yeah. but she never really went like over the top. And I feel like typically in movies and stuff, they will like put these people, they try to make it look like, oh, this person's clearly, clearly has an issue going on. But nine times out of 10, you can't see people's mental illnesses. Right. And it portrayed her in a way to where she still had quote unquote normal feelings. Yes. Like she still had empathy and like when what is Brittany Murphy's character when um uh her name starts with a D, Diana? Daisy. Daisy, Daisy. When they went to her apartment, that scene in her apartment, um she was crushed she was uncontrollable you know so she you know still felt empathy and felt bad for letting lisa push her right essentially right which is i mean incredible and and by the way i'm just to circle back to that that was what i was saying about lisa lisa is showing a pattern here too Mm -hmm. this is the second person who committed suicide because lisa pushed him to the edge for whatever reason so that's why that's what she does. She's a pusher. She's a pusher. She's an envelope pusher because she needs that control, which is why she keeps going back. Because, and I say this here was the parallel. This is such a powerful moment. And this is what Katie was talking about earlier. There's a moment where, um, Susanna is writing down stuff in her journal because Whoopi Goldberg told her, "Hey, you need to just get it out. Get it out mm-hmm. your system." 
Which is what most therapists will tell you. Right. <laughs> Write it down. Write it down in the journal. Journaling is a fantastic exercise to help you out. So she did. But they got a hold of her private journal. And in her journal, she's actually talking about some of the uh, people who are there. The Lisas, mm-hmm. the Daisies, and everybody else. Um, and that really set them off, set Lisa off. And Lisa's chasing her around with this needle. And so she's Susanna's running, 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 running. Susanna gets to a spot where she can't make it out. And Lisa's giving this like wonderful soliloquy, right? About like um, how there's a lot of, she's a button, uh, uh, they call her a button pusher. She says, there's so many buttons to be pushed in the world. And now I'm starting to think, why, why does nobody push mine? Like, why does nobody try me? Mm-hmm. Why am I always the one pushing everybody's buttons, but nobody pushed my buttons? And that's when Susanna turned around and was like, because you're dead already. You're cold inside. Your heart is cold. Nobody wants to mess with you because you are already dead. Mm-hmm. You have no feelings, only- no, no life, no nothing. Your parents don't care if you're here. No. The only reason you keep coming back to this place is because these are the only people that care about you. Yeah. The only people that care about you, the only people you can control. That's why you keep coming back, which is why a lot of people relapse even in like prison. They go mm-hmm. back to prison because they it's the only place that they have some sort of structure and control over. So they get out and they can't. It's hard to it's hard to be in, quote unquote, the real world. I hate the term. but I'm going to use it. Um, it's hard to be in the real world, especially when you have some sort of sense of normalcy. Right. Uh, and so I feel like that was Lisa's big moment. But speaking of that moment and her writing things down, I'm going to just ask you a question about that. Do you feel as if like writing things down is is helpful? Or really my question is how does talking um, you know, or writing something down help a person to heal? How did it did was that something that was suggested for you? And did it help it you? It was. It was. And I I did it. I don't do it anymore. I should. Cause I feel like journaling is very therapeutic because sometimes you feel like or I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I feel like, and you know, because I say things that don't need to be said. I feel like I have to say what I'm thinking or else it won't go away. Like if I don't get it out, it will not leave me alone and it will just keep coming up. And that's why sometimes when I'm bothered by something, like I have to talk through it because if I don't, it will just keep coming up. I can't just let it go. <clears throat> and that's something that I struggle with really bad is just letting it go. So I think that writing it down or, um, you know, the, the journaling or talking to someone, but really writing it down is going to be the best way to just get it out. I agree. I think the reason why we even suggest these things, uh, professionals suggest these things is because people need to process. That's all. It's really mm-hmm. what it is. And a lot of us don't know how to do that internally. Yeah. And I did for the longest time, but cuz you are really good at it. Like where you and I differ is if something bothers me, I have to speak on it and I have to say my piece and that's how I process. I have to talk through it. Whereas you, you're just like I just need to be left alone for a couple of hours so I can think on it, then I'm good. Yeah, I'm going to try to decide because to me I'm thinking one I've got training on learning how to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to people because you're taking on other people's stuff. So you have to learn how to accept the information from other people, you know, package it, deal with it, and then, you know, send it off like Amazon overnight. Um, and so the other thing that I deal with is I don't like to burden people at all, right? So mm-hmm. 
in my head, me talking to you about an issue that maybe you can't change is a burden to you that I don't need to put on you. So I need to figure out a way to deal with it if it is not that important. Meaning if it isn't life changing or I don't think this is a moment that you need to learn something uh, or we need to talk about something so that you can understand really how I feel. Not that you need to learn something. Um, but everything in life is a teachable moment. That's how I look at life is that right. everything that happens is a teachable moment. And some it of those is. moments, right. Some of those moments I think to myself and say, is it worth, are you going to be able to accept the lesson? If you are not, and this goes with anybody, I'm not about to talk to you about it. I'm just going to follow it away um, and keep on moving. If it is, then I'll need time to crystallize my thoughts, as I always say. I say that all the time. You do say I? that, crystallize my Yeah, thoughts. I need to crystallize my thoughts real quick. It, it'll take time for me to crystallize, like coffee brewing. And then, you know what that time is? I'm just going to mm. give you the secret. People always ask me, hey, how do you like talk to people about certain situations that would like normally make you mad and like you run your emotions high, but you kind of stay calm? That crystallizing time, I'm pissed off in my head. That I'm playing the conversation over and over and over and over. And in that conversation, but how I'm do you yelling. release that? Because in me, I do the same thing, but I'm like, I got to get it out. <laughs> right. But I, have, I fight the urge of I got to get it out because it's not productive. I recognize that right now I'm emotional. And I'm it, what I say is not going to be heard. Like yeah. it is just going to be emotional. It's not going to be received. Right. Yeah. I need to. I need to really hone in on how can I, what words can I use, what speed, what tone can I use in talking that my sentiment is going to get across. So a lot of it's just recognizing the space that I'm in now and I get that argument out in my head and I, and I will play all of the answers in my head that, that I think you're going to say. Sometimes I get stumped when I'm talking to you and you'll say something that like, damn, I ain't thinking about that shit, right? <laughs> right? Like, keep nah, me I on your toes. Like, yeah, keep me on my toes. Keep me fresh. But all of that comes from, I feel like I got the proper training. And, and I also attribute that to sports and other things where I had to think first before I spoke to something. Like I had to figure out a problem in my head before I did something else. Um, and so that makes me a little bit more of people or people would just say, I'm, oh, you're an effective communicator. To me, effective communicator really is anybody who can get the point across to somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but just packing things away. But you still need to talk to yourself. So the self-talk that I do to me is equivalent to like writing stuff down. The point is process the information. Take your time, process the information. So I think it's important, y'all, if y'all, even if you, um, just at the end of the day, maybe you didn't have no beef going on all day. Just spend some time with yourself. Write down a couple things that happened. Maybe and, and talk about how it made you feel. Don't talk about like the actual thing that happened. Just be like, today I felt this way because this. Or somebody told me this, and for some reason I felt this way today. And you don't have to explore why you felt that way. Maybe after a while of writing things down, you actually notice a pattern. That I feel this way every time that I feel insecure about my manhood, for, for lack of better um, terms. I feel... Um, I feel threatened every time somebody talks to me about money, right? Like somebody brought up my money today or salary today or going to lunch and I couldn't go to a lunch. And for some reason I felt very insecure about that or felt threatened by that. You know, like little things mm -hmm. like that. Just jot those down. I think they will be a great exercise for you in being able to learn how to process 
your emotions and your thoughts. And then recognizing, is this something you need to deal with yourself? Is it something that you need to talk to somebody else? Because at the end of the day, people, you are responsible for your own feelings. Mm -hmm. Now, if you find somebody who loves you, they're not going to try to hurt you. So they will hear you and try their hardest to keep that in mind when they're talking to you and doing things. But at the end of the day... But sometimes you still get your feelings hurt. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. That's the other thing. And, and I'm sorry we get off on a tangent here, but... You're, you're not meant to always be happy. You're, your feelings will be hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. My feelings get hurt on a daily basis. <laughs> on a daily Dang, basis. By me? Huh? By me? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'm just joking. No, not by you. Uh, sometimes by you, but sometimes by other people. Just by Dang. little things. By right. little things. Like literally, um, I won't share that conversation because it was, I don't, he, I don't know if he's okay with it, but there was a moment in a car we were having a conversation and somebody said something and I, and I turned it back around to my own personal situation. And I was hurt by that. Cause I was thinking to myself, man, I thought, I really thought this guy like understood me and that wouldn't be a point of contention. But obviously if he said this, then maybe this is a point of contention for him. Am I really his friend? That was the thought. Right. Does he think this way about me because mm-hmm. of, I do this? Right. Mm hmm. Process then that. Then you there like, dang, how you right. feel about me? <laughs> Five minutes, I'm like, dang, I, like, he must feel this way about me. He got to. Oh, I hate when that happens too. When it's like, I, for instance, I hate when people start podcasts. I'd be like, dang, what you feel? How you feel about me? <laughs> Do you like my podcast? Oh, yeah. When people say, yeah, like, <laughs> oh, gosh, like they must be talking about me with it. But that's not true, right? I can say some one thing like, oh, man, I really don't I like this one thing. But that doesn't mean I'm talking specifically about you. Right. Right. It's all case by case. And so it doesn't mean your feelings aren't going to get hurt. My feelings got hurt based on an insecurity of mine. But then right. I recognized this is an insecurity of mine. And he didn't mean that to me. He wasn't talking about me. Obviously, he's cool with me. We just went to lunch. Like, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's irrational to a, a certain point and rational to a certain point as well. My point is, y'all, your feelings are going to get hurt and you're going to experience emotions. Experience them and move the hell on. That's life. That's life. Experience them and move on. And your significant other, the love of your life and stuff like that, you're going to go to them sometimes and it's not going to be easy. And it's still you're going to expect something and get something else out of it. Cry it out. Do what you need to do and get back to love because that's a part of life. I think I'm going to start journaling more. But then I get like suspicious, like, is somebody going to read my journal and then hold it against you or something? All my inner thoughts will be out there. Yeah, but like, why do we hide them anyway? What can they do? Who gonna have to, who gonna have to, your inner thoughts hurt people? Who give me one right now? I mean, they can't. I mean, if you look at all the things that Susanna wrote in her journal, like, for instance, the girl who burned her face, she said, that I forget what she said, but she said something very mean about her, about how she stays in this place because it's the only place she feels pretty enough or something like that. So what she wrote in that journal hurt everybody who read it. Right, 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 right. 
So then the question then becomes like, are those like her real thoughts, you know, or, or do we have moments where we, we lash out? Oh, 100%. Because our, if I'm journaling something, I think it's probably going to be my initial reaction. Right. So you're like, you're lashing out in that moment of how I feel, or maybe even reflecting our own feelings and putting it on somebody else. Yeah. So that's a good point. Dang. That was a good point. It'd be like that sometimes. It'd be like that. But let me ask you another question. Just yeah. off the off the rip. And is it helpful or harmful? And this is funny because I feel like we just talked about this. Is it helpful or harmful for somebody to know their mental health diagnosis? Okay, so I think this is a very interesting question. Loaded. And I don't think that there's a right answer. Mm, because I think to some people, it can be helpful because they feel like, okay, there's a reason why I feel this way or I'm not alone. It's diagnosed. So other people also feel this way or, okay, now it has a name. Now I can figure out how to remedy it or live with it or overcome it. On the other hand, I feel like it could be harmful because then people feel like they have to fit into this box, whereas mental health is very fluid. And that's the thing about, you know, any kind of mental health. So depression looks different on everyone, whereas some people that have depression, it is... Um, not being able to get out of bed, not being able to brush your hair, not being able, it's like debilitating. And then some, it's like an everyday thing where you just live with it. And it's just these thoughts that are intrusive, you know? And then some people, it's just a season of it yeah. where it it just happens, you know, in a season of life. So it's very different and everybody's diagnosis is very different. So I feel like when... you are diagnosed with the specific thing. You then feel like you have to check all these boxes to fit into this category or I mean, I feel like somebody that sometimes it defines they you. you. Yeah. Right. And people pressure you into it too. Like, Oh, I know somebody who has that. And you don't do that. And you're like, Oh wait, right. And I have to do mm -hmm. that too. Like, mm -hmm. or that's, that's who you are. You're not a person who's living with depression. You're, you are depression. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, Katie's depressed. She has depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the key word there is has depression. She's not. She's still a human who's just living with this illness, right? You're not your illness. What they say? You're not your dis disorder. You're not mm -hmm. your illness. You just have this illness. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I think you kind of. And I um, think that that's the same with addiction. And I think addiction is the wor worst one that we say those things about. Like, oh, that's a crackhead. No, no, it's not. They're a human who, <laughs> I with mean, a crack addiction. Right. Like they are going through something and addiction is a mental illness and it needs, they need help. Right. And and I was actually at a, um, that's hard for people to accept because at the mm -hmm. conference I was in in Boston recently, one of the things was talking about, and I'm sorry to pivot here, but um trigger warning you could talk about sexual assault um 
and perpetrators specifically. The session I was at was talking about perpetrators and the spectrum of perpetrators and how all perpetration is not the same. And having to change the vocabulary uh, in your dictionary about how you address somebody who is or has done this one thing, right? And like Mm -hmm. they're talking about, we have to still see, if we're going to be able to help humans or whatever else, we have to still see humans for who they are. This person is not a murderer, but they are a person who murdered somebody. Right? They're not, they behaved. You eat every day, you're not an eater. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, you're a person who eats food. So that's hard for people to accept. Just because you did something one time, it doesn't define who you, like who you are. Mm-hmm. Or even a couple of times or whatever, it doesn't define who you are. Um, that's hard for people to accept when you look at certain things. People are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We can, we can say that for addiction. We'll say that for mental health. Then we start going down some other labels and they're like, oh, no, I draw the line there. Yeah. I draw the line there. You know. Now, this is a person with uh, a crack addiction, but that, that's a murderer, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, we can't, you can't draw the line, bro. You have to, if you're looking at humans holistically, you have to look at humans holistically, which means that all humans are humans and they behave, which means they're also not defined by their behavior. It's just something that they do. Anyway, to, to reverse the question on me i really honestly think that you did a great job of answering that question because i do feel i feel the same i think it can be a hindrance and i think it can be helpful i think in this case mm-hmm. we saw that it was a hindrance for susanna mm-hmm. she started to try to become her diagnosis and Whoopi goldberg told her while she was in the tub this was a very powerful scene she was susanna was like well then what's wrong with me Whoopi said i don't you're not crazy i don't think you're crazy you're a lazy little girl who's a brat who's throwing it all away. You mm-hmm. can get better, but you don't want to get better. You you throwing it all away. And that's not easy to tell people, especially people who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. I think it's very easy to look at somebody and immediately be like, oh, if they have a mental illness that like it's, that's going to be them for the rest of their life and they're not going to be able to function a certain way. And that's not true. Some people really do have the will to still have strong choices. You know what I'm saying? And live mm-hmm. a very quote unquote normal life with their illness. That was Susanna. Right. That's why Whoopi Gorba was like, you're lazy. You don't want to try. You don't want to get better. You're throwing this away. Not that, when she said you're lazy and everything else, she wasn't saying you don't have a mental illness. She was saying you don't want to work to get better. Mm-hmm. Right. And Which, I, f- yeah, I feel like a powerful. lot of people, it's yeah, a very powerful moment. And a lot of people that, now I won't say a lot of people, some people that I've like met with in the past and everything else, some people who I know today who are like my friends, I feel the same way. That I'll be like, bro, you don't want to do what you say you want to do Cause you're not doing it. it that's simple. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's hard to do. No, I understand that. And I'm not saying I, I don't want to dissipate and negate the fact that you have an illness. However, you can still behave and you're not behaving. You're not acting congruent. That's what we like to say. Congruency. You <laughs> say you want one thing. You don't do that thing. <laughs> you're not, you say you want to lose weight, but you're not eating right. Do you feel me? I want to get in shape. When have you worked out? You mm-hmm. see how like the thoughts and the behaviors have to be congruent for you to get to success? You want to be, oh, I want to do that. You got to do it. 
I want to be a writer. Open up a page and just write. It don't have to be the best thing ever. I want to ride a bike. Jump on a bike. Go around a block one time. You know what I'm saying? You got to start somewhere and do the things that are congruent with your thoughts, a.k.a. manifesting. People out here talking about manifesting. All you got to do is just... Then you got to do it. And you got to go do it. That's it. You got to go do it. And y'all think that it's like magic to pull into the world. <laughs> you had a thought. The words. The words make it happen. Right. No, you had a thought. Oh, I need a vision board. Yeah, that vision board is going to keep you on focus. And then what you do with the vision board? You start planning. If your vision board is travel, right? It mm-hmm. took you to buy tickets and go do all the things for you to go travel. Right, you just don't, you don't just wake up and perish. And it just happened. No, right. You, it, so man, manifestation is congruency. Make a decision of what you want and behave in that manner so that you can get the things that you need to get. Mm-hmm. Some people like to call it hard work, <laughs> but I don't even think it has to be hard. I don't think it has to be hard. I think you just have to take a step. One step, one step, one step. And before you know it, you're at the top of the rocky steps and you're doing a you know, little thing. One All right, foot anyway. in front of the other. Yeah, one foot in front of the other, man. Just keep just keep on going. Sometimes it's six inches. Sometimes it's it's a, a, a three-foot step. You never know. You're stepping a yard or you're going a little bit for, uh, forward. It's just, as long as you're, you have movement. That's all you need is movement. Keep on going. Keep on going. I don't know if I have any other questions. Do you have any other questions? Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping I on. I do not have any other questions. Y'all, please go watch this movie. It was really good. It's a two-hour movie, but it was really good. Yes. Please go watch this movie. It didn't necessarily feel like it was two hours, but just watch it. And at the beginning, I did feel a little bit like perplexed, like what's going on. But halfway mm-hmm. through, I was like, man, this is, they are really nailing this movie. And it's one of those movies you need to watch. Yes. Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. Girl, uninterrupted. <laughs> <laughs> Not girl, interrupted. Girl, uninterrupted. Put that phone away. Whatever you need to do. That's the other thing. Can I, I'm sorry. Can I step on my soap, soapbox one more time? Okay. One more time. One more time. <clears throat> Y'all, <laughs> we have to work on our attention span. Truth. We have to work on our attention span. If you scroll through TikTok all the time and you can't make it through a minute video. I can make it through a minute. The three-minute videos, that's where they lost me but with But think app. about this, though. <laughs> think about this. The three-minute video, even it might be a three-minute video that you have passion about, and you're not willing to spend three minutes to continue to watch this video. Our attention span has went to crap. And the thing is, it's not going to get any worse. We can't just like have an attention span of one second. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like We're not going to watch something for one second. Here are ways to focus on practice. This is a practice. You, you have to practice and learn. You know, my mom and other, you know, families in the black culture, this is called sit your ass down. <laughs> Sit down. Sat Don't down. move. Stop twitching. Stop toiling your leg and doing all of that. Learn how to cope with your anxiety and sit down. This is a two-hour film. I'm not saying two hours isn't long. It is especially long now when all of our attention spans are have gone to crap. This this is a wonderful way to train your attention. Put your phone away. Really be cognizant of that. If you pick it up, like, oh, I got my phone. Put it down. Focus. Be cognizant of your attention during the day. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. 
focus and learn how to focus your attention. If you cannot Sometimes focus re- for more than 10 minutes at a time, we got to get, we got to work it in. We got to get some work in. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm sitting at my desk, I'll realize that I've picked up my phone. And then when I unlock it, I'm like, why did I even do that? Why did I grab this? Right. And so sometimes I'll keep my phone across the room. That way I don't have the urge to just pick it up every five minutes for no reason. And y'all, I'm not the king of this. I'm not saying I have the greatest focus of all time. But I'll tell you what, and Katie's seen this. When it's time for me to lock in, I can lock in. I will be locked in. <laughs> We need, we got to, as a people, focus on our, our attention span and getting it back to something that is, uh, that will work for us. Cause this six second BS is not working. Okay. <laughs> it ain't working. Anyway, I love you all. Thank you all for staying through this episode, uh, and talking about girl interrupted, not girl uninterrupted. Um, and please go watch it. Uh, subscribe to us on all of our social media, press next podcast, uh, hit us on YouTube slide in the dms please talk to us let us know what movies you suggest us to watch what topics mm-hmm. if you would like to be a guest on the show uh, hit the link in our bio and fill out the guest request we would love to have you on to share some of your own thoughts and perspectives that would be great um yes and as always katie's gonna sign off because she does it way better than i do mm-hmm. so anytime you're watching netflix and I ask are you still watching always press next press next baby bye y'all see y'all next week